Good evening, good evening, good evening, and welcome again to another edition of Catholic Reflections. I'm so glad to be back with you guys today. Hope everyone had a had a nice couple days off to rest, and we're gonna get back into things. Go ahead and begin with our mass readings. Mass readings are from the feast of Saint Bartholomew the Apostle. It's your first reading from Revelations. The angel spoke to me, saying, "Come here." I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He took me in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It gleamed with the splendor of God. Its radiance was like that of precious stone, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a massive high wall with twelve gates where twelve angels were stationed and on which names were inscribed the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. There were three gates facing east, three north, three south, and three west. The wall of the city had twelve courses of stone as its foundation, on which were inscribed the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Here's your responsorial psalm. Your friends make known, O Lord, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Let all your works give you thanks, O Lord. And let your faithful ones bless you. Let them discourse of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might. Your friends make known, O Lord, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Making known to men your might and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is a kingdom for all ages, and your domination endures through all generations. Your friends make known, O Lord, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. The Lord is just in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, and to all who call upon him in truth. Your friends make known, O Lord, the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Alleluia, alleluia. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Alleluia, alleluia. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the one whom about whom Moses wrote in the law, and also the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. But Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, Here is a true child of Israel. There is no duplicity in him. Nathanael said, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, I saw you under the fig tree. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Do you believe because I told you that you were under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. He said to him, Amen, amen, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Go to your daily reading. Your daily reading comes from Ezra today, chapter 10. Therefore, as Ezra was praying and imploring and weeping in this way, and was prostrate before the temple of God, an exceedingly great assembly of men and women and children were gathered to him from Israel, and the people wept with a great weeping. And Saranach, the son of Jael, 
from the sons of Eam responded and said to Ezra, We have sinned against our God and have taken foreign wives from the people of the land. And now, if there is repentance within Israel of this, let us strike the pact with the Lord our God, so we may cast aside all the wives and those who have been born from them in accord with the will of the Lord, and all and of those who fear the precept of the Lord our God. So let it be done according to the law. Rise up. It is for you to discern, and we shall be with you. Be strengthened and act. Therefore Ezra rose up, and he caused the leaders of the priests and the Levites and all of Israel to swear that they would act in accord with this word, and they swore it. And Ezra rose up before the house of God, and he went away to the chamber of Johanna, the son of Islip, and he entered into it. He did not eat bread, and he did not drink water, for he was mourning the transgressions of those who had arrived from the captivity. And a voice was sent into Judea and Jerusalem to all the sons of transmigration, so that they would gather together in Jerusalem. And all those who would not arrive within three days, in accord with the counsel of the leaders and the elders, would have all would have all his substance taken away, and he would be cast out of the assembly of the transmigration. And so all the men of Judah and all ben- and and of Benjamin convened in Jerusalem within three days. This was in the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the street of the house of God, trembling because of the sin and the rain. And Ezra the priest rose up, and he said to them, You have transgressed, and you have taken foreign wives, so that you added to the offenses of Israel. And now make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers. And do what pleases them, and separate yourselves from the peoples of the land and from your foreign wives. And the entire multitude responded, and they said with a great voice, In accord with your word to us, so let it be done. Buttons, lay down. Lay down, Buttons. (coughs) Yet truly, since the people are many, and it is the time of rain, and we cannot endure standing outside, and this is not a... (coughs) This is not a task for one or two days, for certainly we have sinned greatly in this matter. Let leaders be appointed among the entire multitude and in all our cities. Let those who have taken foreign wives of private appointed times, and with them the elders from city to city, and the judges, until the wrath of our God has been averted from us over this sin. And so Jonathan, the son of Ashel, and Jehovah, the son of Tavik, were appointed over this, and the Levites, Mishina, and Sabbatakah, assisted them. And the sons of the transmigration did so. And Ezra the priest, and the men who were the leaders of the families in the houses of their fathers, and all according to their name, Buttons, stop it! went and sat down on the first day of the tenth month, so that they might examine the matter. And they met an end with the men who were taken foreign wives by the first day of the first month. And there were found among sons of the priests some who had taken foreign wives, from the sons of Jeshua, the son of Jordak, and his brothers Messiah and Elzer, and Jerob and Goliath. And they swore with their hands that they would cast aside their wives, and they would offer for their offense a ram from among sheep, and from the sons of Amor, Hammer, and Zebedah, and from the sons of Okay, I'm not going to go through this. You see that So, the reason I cut it short is because you see that they're just listing the the sons that took foreign wives, but I will talk about that later.
Okay, so let's go ahead and go to our, our daily reading because today's tonight's topic has to do with the church and why the church is necessary. So, um, so first of all, if we go to Revelations, look at that second verse. The bride, the wife of the lamb. He took me in spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Okay, so it is commonplace for the church to be known as the bride of Christ. And so what usually in figurative language, Jerusalem is considered the church. The church is considered the new Jerusalem being purified on earth. So uh, people ask, why is the church necessary? Why is the capital C church necessary? Well, the church is necessary for a couple reasons. Number one, it gives us structure. It gives us structure to our worship and our faith. Number two, it leads us in our faith. Because the church is our mother. The church is there to guide us in our faith. And if we don't have the church there, if we don't have the church as our guide, we kind of just go out and... You know, we kind of just go out and do our own thing. That's not what God wants here. What he did was he made a structure. He put a structure in place so that the church might be, that all, that all, the, that all her members might always be in a line with one truth. Because if you go to Corinthians, St. Paul says, you shouldn't be divided because you are all in the body of Christ. So when we see this this fractured unity among the people of Christ in the different Christian denominations, it's sad. Because that's not what Christ wanted. Christ made a church that was has the fullness of truth that we believe has been handed down since the apostles. You trace all the way back to the apostles. And to see the disunity that has happened between first Martin Luther and then those splits that reciprocated off of it, it's very sad. And the church is so necessary because it keeps us all in, in line. It keeps us in alignment, if you will. And why is that important? When we talk about structure, when we... When we talk about the structure of the church and why the church has a pope and why the church has this order of the hierarchy, it's it's a structural thing. It's a guidance thing. Because if we're left to our own devices, we can kind of mess things up a little bit, right? We can kind of mess things up. So what Christ did is he appointed the apostles, and then the apostles appointed Ben and so on and so on until our own day. Uh, you know, he, he appointed apostles to guide the church and carry on his work so that the unity wouldn't be fractured. There would always be the unity. There would always be the truth so that the, 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 that the church would never be broken. Now, I know that I've talked about uh, last uh, couple days ago, I think it's Monday night. No. It had to be Monday. Yeah, it had to be Monday night. That we we've talked about this idea of the the disunity with the priests and the sexual abuses. Unfortunately, that's a big thing that's going on in the church, and a lot of people are saying, you know, why are you Catholic? The church is all these things. 
Well, here's the thing. Christ says, I think it's in John, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. So we have his guarantee then that no matter what, the church is always going to maintain her unity like she has for millennia. And that's a good thing because we need the structure. Christ gives structure to our days. He gives structure to our life. So the church is just doing that. Sorry, I have an itch on my leg. But all the church is doing is she's guiding our worship. She's guiding our interpretation of how we read the Bible. She is giving us the fruits and the the tools that we need to live an authentically Christian life. And she will correct... Sorry. She will correct when necessary because that's what a mother does a mother does not allow her children to perish in their own demise okay and we put this emphasis on the church and how great she is because it's because christ formed her he gave himself up for her because he loves her that much and we as the body of Christ, we make up that church. And so, therefore, he loves us just as much. Okay? So, that's my little thing on the church. So, now let's go to the gospel reading. Because, again, we've talked about this before, that, you know, Jesus is walking around gathering disciples, right? So, he's, he's going and gathering disciples. And we've talked about the idea of materialism. Okay, we've talked about the idea of materialism. And this is the idea of the the signs part, that we're visual people, we need to see signs. So, and then Jesus said, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under a tree, under the fig tree? So again, you see that Nathaniel is believes in, in Christ automatically. And then Christ says to him, did you believe because I told you that I saw you? Again, this idea of signs. Do you believe in me because of who I am or what I did or what I said? That's the difference that Christ continually points out to us with these gospel readings. That we need to not believe based on signs that he's done in our lives, but believe for the person he is. We talk about this so much that we're so materialistic that we focus on the need for signs all the time, no matter what we may be doing. We need a sign. We need a sign for something. Well, Christ, again, today points out to us that we actually don't need a sign. We actually don't need a sign because the sign that we would get, you know, it's a half, it's a half-hearted faith. And I, I don't mean to say that to, to sound snippy. I, I don't. But, you know, Christ makes a good point. Do you believe because I said I saw you under the fig tree? So again, we see the idea of signs, how important they are. And automatically, Nathan just has this, he has this automatic reflux, and I think we all do. 
that when God is telling us something that he sees us doing, whether what, however that message may come across, that we automatically say, okay, Lord, I believe it's you. It's because of the signs that he's doing in our lives, that he's working in our lives. But here's the thing. Do we believe in him for the person that he is? That's a tough question. Do we believe in him for the person that he is? On one hand, I'd have to say no. Because how often is it that you ask God to do something? Like, God, if you'll do this, it'll strengthen my faith. If you work this way, it'll strengthen my faith. That's not the point. The point is that we need our faith strengthened because of the person that he is, not because of what he does. You know, you hear all these, you know, tele-evangelists talk about how God wants to make your, wants to make your life easy and fulfilling. And, well, while he does, it needs to be fulfilling in him. Not on some material value that he's going to give you. It's not about materialism, folks. It's about believing in Christ for who he is, not the things he did or continues to do. Now, let's go on now and talk about this idea of sins and regression for sins, because that's what our daily reading talks about. And why do I want a separate segment for this? Because I I want, I want, I want to talk about this idea of sin and what it does and how it affects, you know, our mercy, with you know, our relationship with God and why that effect is so, is so hard and the idea of reparation for sin. So, first of all, let's talk about what the Israelites did. So, they took foreign wives. Obviously, Christ had made a rule, a law, that said you cannot take foreign wives. And so, what happens? Well, the Israelites disobey that and they take foreign wives. And plenty of them. So, and you see that it's listed, all the people that, you know, took foreign wives. But, what I, I want you to notice is this idea that Ezra is a priest. He's one of the priests in um, Israel. And he's, he's imploring and weeping. So he's, he is upset over these sins. So he's imploring God for his mercy because of what Israel's done. Is that not what the priest does at every Mass? When... You know, we talk about, you know, the priest talks about in the words of consecration about the sins that we've been committed, that they may be forgiven. That's the same idea as what Ezra's doing in today's daily reading, is he's imploring God for his mercy. Okay? And so, now what happens is, not only is Ezra weeping and, you know, all these things, but there's a multitude of people. We don't know how many, it just says a great multitude of people. So, you have a great multitude of people here that are weeping because of their sin, along with Ezra. Again, that's us participating in the Mass. When we participate in the Mass, we are showing that, you know, we're sorry for any sins that we have committed or will commit. So, then one of the, um, 
the son, one of the sons of uh, respondent said, We have sinned against our God and have taken foreign wives from people. If there is repentance within Israel of this, let us strike a pact with the Lord our God, so we may cast aside the wives and those who have been born from them, and in accord with the will of the Lord and of those of the faith precept of the Lord God, according to the law. So, pretty much he's asking, is there any hope? Is there any hope for forgiveness? For this terrible sin that we've committed. And of course with God there's always mercy. There's always forgiveness if you're truly repentant. And that's what I want to talk about here. Repentance. And why it's important. I'm not talking about a half-hearted repentance that, oh... You know, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing over and over. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you knew that you sinned. And you are truly sorry for the wrong that you've committed. And you're asking God for forgiveness. That's why the sacrament of confession, uh, reconciliation is so important. Because the penitent is is truly sorry and is asking the mercy of God. Now, if you want to know why, you know, we could go into more detail about why confession is important. But I will give you just this this idea that Christ says that we should be praying for one another. St. Paul implores us to go and confess our sins to each other. So this idea of confession, of reconciliation, is in the Bible. We actually do get it from Scripture. It is actually scripturally sound. Now, the idea of this, this this idea of a wholehearted repentance, that's the only way that you will receive the mercy of God. You cannot go into the confessional and have a half-hearted repentance. It's not going to work that way. I'll tell you that right now. It's not going to work. So you need to go into that confessional with the sincere, sincere repentance that you know you have for the sins that you've committed and you tell the priest about these and this is this is so important because christ died for our sins okay he put them on himself on the cross but he knows that we're a fallen people so instead of re-crucifying himself over and over again he gives peter the keys to loose and to bind which is the forgiveness to forgive or not to forgive certain sins whatever is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven whatever is loose on earth shall be loose in heaven so the power of the keys so it gives peter control over the you know authority over the church which he then passes down to the bishops and the cardinals and the like and that type of thing and down to priests So it's so important that Christ gives Peter, he gives St. Peter this option, because that way it addresses what sins can be forgiven and what sins can't. Now, we've got, you know, I've pretty much given you a a basic idea of... Of, the, of, of this idea of, you know, why, why repentance more. Now, why is it necessary? We talk about this idea of why it's necessary. It's necessary because we need to be continually reminded of God's grace. God's grace is not a one-time thing. God's grace happens all the time, especially in the Eucharist and in reconciliation. 
And reconciliation is so important because what happens when you sin, you wound the church. You're distant. You're, you're, you're separated from the church. And the church, as our mother, as I've talked about, wants all her children at home with her. She doesn't want people separated or, or taken or kept from her. She wants them all together. Now, if you look at, if, if you, you, go, you can go in and look at Scripture and see where it talks about the idea of reconciliation and repentance, because there are plenty of Scripture verses to back it up, and I, I highly suggest do a Google search about these kind of Scripture passages and why they're, you know, what they, you know, what they say. You'd be amazed. Now, I'm not going to be on here too long because I'm getting tired. So I'm just going to wrap it up with this. The church, as our mother, does not want us separated from her. She wants us all together. And in order for all her children to be together in grace, in that state of grace, that's why reconciliation is so important. And Christ even says that we should always, you know, we should always be going to each other and praying and asking for intercession. And that's why reconciliation is so important for the church. So if you haven't been to confession in a while, if you're a Catholic and you haven't been to confession, I highly suggest you go. Because it really does, it, it, you feel better. Like a weight has been lifted because all sin does, guys, is it just burdens you down. It really does. All it does is it just it burdens you. It just it just makes you so weak and you just feel so distant. But when when you get those words of of forgiveness it, it just there's a weight that's lifted and then you go and do your penance. You walk out of that excuse me. You walk out of that confessional knowing that you are back in the arms of the church who will guide you in the way that you should go so you don't sin. If you're not a Catholic and you're interested in, you know, learning about this, talk to a priest and... Sorry about that guy's button scared me. But, you know, if you're, you know, if you're not a Catholic and you're interested in the church, I suggest talk to a priest and go through RCIA. My my husband Gary did it and and you guys can, you know, I've I give his conversion story a little bit on called to greater things where I talk where I talk about my own uh reversion. And so like I said, go talk to a priest and and find out more information. And always, all and as always, as I've said before, I am always available either by email c dot twenty three ninety four yard com, or shoot me a message on here in the Anchor app, and I will be glad to take your questions. Like I said, I'm still looking for some questions. Uh, like I said, please, I would love to get some some feedback because I'd like to do a a a, a, um, a listener question uh, segment. Just to do something a little different. So like I said, I hope everyone has a great night. And I will see you guys tomorrow night. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Catholic Reflections.